Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Well, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Well, we're continuing our series on others. And this morning, I'm going to talk about others, the religious man. You know, we've been talking about those who have been marginalized, those who are been put outside of society. But today, we're going to look at someone who is kind of being put outside of his system of belief and taken to a place where he is a little bit in a precarious category because of what he did believe and now what he's being challenged to believe by Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about crossing the border, team jerseys, and family camping. All right. And open with me to John chapter 3, a very familiar passage something that you have heard, I'm sure, if you've been involved in church at all. It's one that you've heard, and even if you haven't been involved with church, you've probably heard some of the verses in this chapter that you go, oh, I know that verse, I've heard that. But we're going to start at verse 1, John chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Now, there was a man, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to that which we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you have not believed, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes into the light so that it might be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. 
Now, Nicodemus is a religious leader in his culture. In our culture, he would have kind of been a fundamentalist, right? Here is a person who had studied the scriptures and whose life was committed to knowing them and to demonstrating them. Now, at this time, he is a person who is known for not only knowing the law, but expounding on the law. A person who knew what was right to believe, who knew how to dress right, who who knew how to behave right, who knew how to talk right, who knew how to vote right, right? He had all the things in the right categories. And so this is the person, he was showing how to stand right with God by all the things that he knew, all the things that he did, and yet Jesus' harshest words were to these religious people. Luke's gospel is not too harsh towards the Pharisees. Mark's is a little bit harsher, and Matthew's is just full-on blasting them, where he's just constantly attacking the Pharisees. And of course, Matthew's gospel was directed specifically to the Jewish people where the Pharisees had the most understandable position. John's gospel is unique because he brings in this unique individual who was a leader of the Jews. They were known for being devout. They were known for following the law so much so that it wasn't enough that they followed the law is that they expounded on it. They had their own traditions. Yeah, the law said that you were supposed to, you know, clean your hands before doing these ceremonies, but they explained how to clean your hands, how often to clean your hands, not only how to clean your hands, but how to clean the dishes. How far could you walk on the Sabbath before it was considered working? Could you sow? Is that working? If you're sowing, it's considered work. So all these things they start putting down so that they can make sure that they followed the law to the letter. They wanted everything to be just right. These are the ways that you prove your relationship with God and that it's valid. And so the first thought or the first step in getting their approval was God was actually being a descendant of Abraham. When we go to Mexico, we have to cross the border. To come back into the country, you have to prove that you are an American citizen. And so you have to have a passport or a birth certificate. Now, a lot of people come with a driver's license because they say, yeah, it's a California driver's license. But then it's up to the border guard to decide whether they'll accept that because the license only proves you can drive in the United States. It doesn't prove you're a citizen. And to get a passport you have to have a birth certificate that proves that you are a citizen of whatever country you're born in. And you see, for the Jewish people, and for the Pharisees, being a child of Abraham was number one. This is how you become approved in God's sight as you become one of Abraham's children because God gave the law to Moses, God demonstrated his favor to Abraham and all his children. This belongs to us. And so as you start to see some of these words play out that Jesus is talking about, it really becomes clear that John is trying to bring out this understanding. He even did it in chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, there's the lineage of Abraham, or of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, Jesus came to expand the lineage that they had in their mind. They had this understanding, you have to be born in this way, you have to be a part of this, and that's how you begin to have this relationship with God. And so when Jesus would say, that which is flesh is flesh, 
He's really talking directly to their way of thinking that you have to be in this lineage to be accepted by God. An important point here that we need to make is that it's possible to be very religious and miss the point of that religion, which is to be in relationship or right standing with God. And so you can be doing all these things and not be in the right place. And Jesus pushes it even deeper in his understanding. And it's not an entirely new one. Throughout the the Hebrew scriptures, there were these words from God. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. It has nothing to do with lineage. It has nothing to do with keeping the law. It has everything to do with relational living. And so really from the very early age, points God was trying to pull out of them his understanding. I don't want to hear your laws. I don't want to hear your festivals. They're an abomination to me. This is what I desire is truth in the inward parts. You see, God was always pushing for these things, but you get so locked into your traditions that you miss the point of them altogether. What matters for most purposes is not that once we come to a place where you're born in the right lineage, what matters more is how you are alive now and that your present life day by day and moment by moment is showing evidence and health and strength and purpose for what God has. And so Jesus is saying God is starting a new family in which this ordinary birth isn't enough. You need to be born all over again or born from above The same word here can mean a second time. It's theologically regeneration. The word is to generate, but to to generate again. It's a regeneration. It's having this life kind of restarted in you. And he's helping us to understand that it's not enough to be there in this lineage. That There has to be a life. And this life is now more than just the children of Abraham. You know, it's coming down into baseball to the playoffs, and the Dodgers are there. Just thought I'd let you guys know. Yes, an Angel fan, of course. Um, It's okay. We don't hate because we're better. Um, You know, jerseys are, it's amazing you go to a game and everyone's sporting their colors, right? They've got their team, they sport the colors, and they got their players on the back. And, you know, the jersey shows you're a fan, right? Wearing the hat shows you're a fan. But just because you wear a jersey does not mean you can play the game, right? We know that. You see some of the people wearing the jerseys, and you know they've never played the game. Whether it's football, whether it's baseball, whether it's basketball, I could sport a Laker jersey, but there ain't no way I've ever been on the court. Why are you laughing? (laughs) See, it shows you're a fan, but only playing shows that you're actually on the team. And the point in Jesus' words is that this new birth, this double-sided new birth, this being born of water and of spirit is really pointing to a couple of things that help show you're on the team. Because everyone who's on the team does wear the jersey. It's an outward evidence that you belong to the team. You're wearing the right colors. You can't be on the field if you're not wearing the uniform. And so being born of water, I believe, is speaking of baptism. I think Jesus is saying, you know, you have to be a part of the team. You have to be wearing the jersey, but born of spirit means you have to be in the game. It's not enough just to be wearing the jersey. You have to actually be playing. It's kind of, if you're following Jesus, you're baptized. It gives you this new life and new spirit welling up like a spring of water inside of you. The spiritual baptism was now required for the membership into God's family. Indeed, as Jesus says in verse 3, without it, you can't see the kingdom of God. Why? You have to 
acknowledge you belong to this team, and then you have to be living in the life. And God's kingdom is now thrown open to anyone and everyone. The spirit is moving. It's like a breeze. And and when you're in a religious system that has rules and regulations that are so structured to limit things, when you open the window, it just blows everything out of whack. It's like, what about all the things that we've done to prove ourselves right, to live right, and now you open the window and you're saying just everyone can come in. It throws a real wrench in the system. And it's interesting because the word for wind is the same word that's used for breath, is the same word that's used for spirit in both the Hebrew and the Greek. And it's bigger and stronger than any human family, than any tribe that they would belong to or organization or system. Opening the window to Nicodemus, it messed things up for him. He had a hard time reasoning this because his way of life was always set to this tradition that he held and the structure that he was holding on to. All the labels were sorted into neat little places. But unless we're prepared to listen to this dangerous new message that Jesus is bringing, then we're not really going to be able to hear the gospel at all. It's calling us to an active participation It's not just putting on the jersey. He's calling us to get into the game. And Nicodemus is there like saying, what are you talking about? You know, and here is Nicodemus and he comes at night. We don't know if it's because he's like stay on the down low or if he's just coming because that's where he has the time and he's wanting to find out about Jesus. We know later on that he and Joseph Arimathea bought the tomb and prepared things for Jesus. So he is a believer at the end or continuing. He even opposed the Pharisees when they were reasoning to put him to death says, our laws don't give us reason to do this. And they just shut him up saying, look and search the scriptures. Can't you see that no one uh, comes from, you know, Nazareth? Nothing good comes from this. And so there's something happening in him questioning Jesus is doing something miraculous. I think God is doing something. And then he goes to talk with them and he goes, okay, you're from God. Tell me about this. And he says, by the way, being born in the Abraham's family, it it serves you no purpose now. And it's like, what? And all those laws and those things, God is doing something new. You're having to be regenerated. And God is opening the window and the wind is going to rush in every nation tribe and people and nicodemus says i don't get it and jesus says well it's like this and he points to a story and the story is found in numbers 21 verses 5 through 9 i'll I'll read it it says and the people spoke against god and against moses why have you brought us up out of egypt to die in the wilderness For there's no food and no water, and we loathe this wilderness food. This wilderness food was the food God was cooking, by the way. Okay, it was the manna. So it's like going to your mom's house and telling her, I hate your cooking. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't fly well, right? And and so they're saying we hate this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and it set and prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit someone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. And so here is Jesus telling Nicodemus, this whole being born again, you know that story that's kind of weird about the serpent and the pole and it being lifted up? It's like that. Right? You understand now? And Nicodemus probably is like... Yeah, yeah, that whole nerve, you know, I don't know if he's tracking with Jesus at this point, but Jesus is trying to make a point here that Nicodemus can connect to from his own passage of the scriptures. You know, in both the Hebrew and Christian 
traditions, the serpent is seen as a negative and strong force. It symbolizes the evil that's in the world and in us. And this incident that happened where the people were bit, the the venom, the poison, you don't escape the bite and the poison that is there in that bite by keeping the commands or being born in the right family. God has to remove it. But we first need to be aware of it and then look to him for the healing of it. All we can do, just as it was that all the Israelites could do, is look and trust to the serpent being raised up to see and receive what God wants to do. Now, because the serpent is the symbol of something evil, and Jesus is saying that he would be lifted up, it's not saying that he is evil. What it's saying is that he is going to take that evil. And there has to be the looking to him and trusting God for him that we could find the healing. And he says, this is like that. And I don't know how Nicodemus felt, but we know it put a seed in his soul that made him think about this. This being born all over again. What what is that? This water and this spirit. What is that? What is this regeneration, this quickening? Is it when you go to a, 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 some kind of revival and you walk down and, and answer an altar call? Is that what is being born again? What is this to be regenerated? And it's a life of God being made alive in me. And you see, this takes place in different people and in different ways. Years and years ago, we went to a family camp. And I've told you guys how I feel about camping. And going with four children is just awful. Okay? And I'm complaining, and I'm not the one who did the work. My wife is the one who did all the work, and she loved it, right? I'm sleeping on an air mattress that deflates. The kids aren't going to sleep. You know, they're wanting to run around. There's dirt everywhere. You wake up and you're sweating, right? There is no air conditioning in these tents. It's going so backwards from what we strive to achieve, you know? But my wife loved it, and, and I enjoyed the time with the family. It's just camping is not my deal. But we would take the whole children, we'd pack the van, we'd get bikes. I mean, we look like the Beverly Hillbillies, if any of you guys remember that. We'd going down there and we'd have all our stuff unloaded and get things to set up to try and make it as homey as possible. And at this camp, I was giving a devotion. It was kind of a church family camp. And I remember giving a devotion and I was there speaking. I have no idea what I gave the talk. That's how good it was. It was just un able to be retained by the human wine. Anyway, it was just, I gave this talk, and I remember as I was talking, I looked at one of my boys, his eyes were like saucers, and they were just welling up with tears, and I saw him just being moved. And I, I, afterwards, I, I went up to him, and I just said, hey, buddy, what's going on? What's happening with you? You know, I see something was going on with you. And he said, well, remember that? time when you said that you love us and you would do anything to help us, that if we were hurting, you would step in and you would rather be hurt than see us hurt, and you said that God was like that? I said, yeah. That's why the only thing I remember about what I said is because what he told me I said. He goes, well, I understand that, that God loves me. I understand what that's like. And he was a young boy. I don't know, he might have been eight years old. And you see, it's not like he had this monumental conversion experience. It's not like, you know, oh, I've had it, you know. I, I just can't deal with this life anymore at eight. You know, the pressure, riding the bikes, playing with the friends. I can't please everyone, you know. It wasn't like he had this kind of conversion experience All of a sudden, there was a a quickening in his heart, a reality that God loved him. 
And he understood it, and it became clear and true to him. It brought the life of God within him. And so this experience, this regeneration, takes place in different ways in different people. It's when you encounter God and see him for who he is and are able to trust him for your life that he is able to then put that life and make it grow within you. The danger of religion is to trust in something other or more than Jesus. Something other than or more than what God has done. See, I know the Bible or I know it correctly. There are times when you you read some comments people leave on, you know, Facebook or on, you know, Yelp. And it's one thing to leave a comment on Yelp about, you know, food. You know, I like this food, it's authentic. I didn't like this, it was cold, whatever it is. But then people do that, you know, with their churches too. It's always kind of fun to read some of those. They don't teach the Bible right. It's like, oh, okay, not going to that church. Why? Because we teach it right. And when we start trusting how we teach the Bible instead of what God has done to reach us, and that becomes the litmus test to whether we are in relationship with God, I think we're in danger. I think we're, we're moving in the same direction that the Pharisees were in. I do all the right things. I, I, I go to the right church. Because these traditions that we place, they so change. There was a time where if you were a Christian in the United States, you did not play cards. Bet you guys didn't know how evil cards were. Yeah, you're playing gin. Oh, why do you think it's called gin? I don't know why. I don't know if it's... It's just, there was something... Oh, it's with gambling. Only gamblers play cards. And so if you played fish or war, none of that matters. You're playing cards. We don't go there. You did not go to the movies because they were evil. They were decadent. I remember one church, they said, you, if you're a Christian, should not go to an R-rated movie. That was the litmus test. No R-rated movies. Then the Passion of the Christ came and said, well, maybe this one R-rated movie. You see, we want to set these things to make ourselves right. Instead of trusting the work of God and looking to Him for what He's done, We find out that when we come to this place, maybe you realize that I'm being very religious and I'm being very right, but I'm not in relationship. I can believe in God's love for me, and that's enough to remove the poison of my soul. I can believe in what Jesus has done, and that's enough to deal with what's happened to me when you believe that someone is trying to get you if you don't live right, if you believe that God is out to judge you, if you don't follow all the things right, instead of God is out to love you, it changes everything. It does it with people. Have you ever been in a conversation and you think someone's really hostile towards you and everything you say, they say is to entrap you? I have. Right? And I'm dancing around that conversation. It's like, so... You know, what do you think about this? Why, what do you want to know about it? And and I'm trying to get their end game, right? I'm on this kind of chessboard trying to figure out what they're trying to say. You're trying to find something wrong with me, something wrong with what I believe or, or, or these things. But when I know someone loves me and they say, hey, what do you think about this? I'm happy to talk to you about it. Why? Because you're not out to get me. You see, a lot of people think that God is out to get them. And if you do not follow this pattern you're on the wrong team buddy you're wearing the wrong jersey you are not going to fly instead of realizing that in jesus god is the one extending out to me god is one taking the poison for me i i'm like the children of israel i've i'm condemned already by who i am god's not condemning me i'm already 
there. And I have found that most people know that. Most people are living in that condemnation. And I get to tell them that God doesn't condemn them. The son did not come into the world to condemn you, but to set you free, to let you know that this poison that's in your soul, he's got the remedy. And it's his love for you free. See, regeneration is being made alive in our relationship and understanding of God. It's awakening faith within our hearts. And it happened to the Samaritan woman. It happened to Zacchaeus, the tax collector. It happened to the adulterous woman. It happened to the demoniac. And it's happening to a religious man. You see, we're all the same at the foot of that cross. When Jesus was lifted up, we all stand on the same ground. And all these different categories of people mean nothing to the God who's extending everything to all of us, everyone. So when you're feeling like, I can't go there because I'm not good enough. I I can't go there because I'm a hypocrite. I, I, I can't do this because I'm not strong enough. Or they shouldn't be here because they're not in the right political party. They don't think the way I think. They have no part of these things. When we start putting all these traditional things in there, Jesus is speaking to us. And he's challenging us. And so I think a lot of times what happens with us is we want to know, well, how do we know if we're right? How do I know if I'm in this relationship with God? How do I know that things are okay and that I'm not on the wrong team, that I don't have my jersey on backwards, that I'm actually in the game? And I kind of want to look at a few things, some things that are maybe false signs and some things that are true life signs. Just quickly, a a false sign is when you're so concerned about outward appearance, outward emotion as evidence of a spiritual life. I just need to act right. I just need to look right. I just need to say the right things. If I do those things, then I'm okay. You're putting trust in your outward appearance and how you look. And we're all good at that, right? We're all good. How are you doing? Great. I'm fine. Oh, really? I heard that, you know, this happened to you. Oh, yeah, that did. Yeah, so how's that going? Well, my court case is, you know, and it's like, okay, so things aren't that great with you, but we have the way of putting on this air of everything's fine. And when we start thinking that that's what we need to do, we just have to have that kind of presentation, then I think we're in danger. That's a a sign that something's in the wrong place. When we have rigid opinions and judgments of other people, it's not a sign of spiritual maturity. It's usually a sign of immaturity. When you're just rigidly holding opinions against someone because of what they believe and where they're at. We usually do that when it helps to secure our feeling about ourselves. And so... When someone is going through something or in the middle of something, just giving them a right answer is usually not as helpful as actually being with them, right? If someone like our our dear friend has just lost his wife, quoting Romans 8, 28, though it may be true, it's probably not going to be as helpful as going over and sitting and having a cup of coffee and journeying with him. But saying the right things makes us feel better. And when we get rigid in these things where you just have to be like this, it's usually because we're guarding ourselves. Being busy with religious activity, doing good things doesn't mean you're doing good. And I've done these things. I've been in these places. I've been so busy for God that I have totally neglected my heart and relationship with him. Totally. But I was doing the good things. But I was not doing good. And sometimes busyness just keeps us from having to deal 
with what's really happening. Well, I'm busy, but I'm not dealing with what's happening in my heart, how I'm feeling, the struggles I'm having. I'm, I'm keeping those numb. I'm not addressing those. And that happens so many times to people who are involved in church, involved in ministry. I know so many people who have just stepped down and said, I cannot do this anymore. I'm just, uh, I'm playing a game. When did you start playing the game? You didn't start. I was so busy doing things that I neglected what is really important. I started neglecting the things that were happening in my heart and my relationship with God. When people are overly concerned with proving themselves right, needing to defend, needing to convince people about everything. Again, that's usually putting up a front and trying to make yourself feel better. Trying to establish these things. It's amazing. When I was like 25 years old, I knew everything. I I did. I, I knew so much more than I know now. When I was a young Christian, I had it figured out. I I could quote you Bible and verse, and you gave me any problem, and I could remedy it with Scripture. I had it all down. Then life happened. There are few things that I hold on to with as much certainty as I held on to everything with much certainty. Even this passage where what is flesh is flesh must be born of water and spirit. I used to think being born of water was the natural birth. Right? You're born of water and then you have to be born of spirit, born again. But now I believe that it's really talking to Nicodemus about his lineage of Abraham. It's something I think different than I did before. And so if someone were to come up to me and say, well, I think it's like this, I could tell them, well, this is what I think. But I've thought different things throughout the time. Am I going to be so rigid? Why? What, what good am I doing by being so rigid in these things and so concerned with proving myself right to everybody? I think it's a sign that something's wrong. It's very pharisaical. It's what we see in the Pharisees. Well, they could quote you verse, and they could quote you all the Torah of why they believed what they believed, and they were missing the boat. I think Christians do the same thing. I've heard it. I've done it. I've got a a chapter and verse for why you need to believe like I do. And I'm missing the boat entirely of the heart of God and what God is trying to do. So, So those are some of the things. They're lacking a sense of assurance or peace. Right? Always feeling that you're having to do something more to get in good with God. When we love him because he first loved us. Your love for God is a response to his love for you. It always is. It always will be. And if you're never feeling like you're quite good enough, like I always have to do more, it's a sign that something is wrong in that relationship. You don't understand the cross. You don't understand what it means. You don't understand how intense the love of God is towards you. You don't understand that this wind is going to take you as you are, where you are. That's the extent. And so these are some things that can give us kind of a false sign that we're in this more traditional sense where we're not walking in the spirit or we're born of the flesh. Some true signs that life is taking place is there's a growing affection and love for God. It shows up. And your desire to know God more, it just grows up in your wanting to read about him. It, it, it shows up in your wanting to worship him. It shows up in how hungry you are after him. You see, when you feel that you've got him and you know him and you stop desiring him, there is a problem there. I want to know God more. I need to know him more. And I'm so glad that the person I was so sure of back when I was 25 has changed to a person who actually hungers and thirsts for more of God at whatever my age is now. (laughs) I forget. Anyway, when you mourn for things and you 
trust things. You worship him in high esteem. You you mourn for things that are problematic in your life. They hurt you, but you trust him more for the things that you can't find in your life. It moves you to a place of dependency on him. Growing in freedom spiritually, trusting that Christ is enough, not comparing in unhealthy ways. I'm never enough attitude doesn't hold on to you. So if you're in a position where you're just like, I'm never enough, I'm never enough, you need to grow into a place where I'm accepted as I am. And it's so interesting when Paul talks about the weaker brother. It is the one who is holding on to the tradition. The brother who is stronger is the one who has more freedom. The one who doesn't have to worship just on the Sabbath. The one who is able to eat more foods because he's not bound by those traditions. And it's so funny because today we, we take that and we go the other way, right? The brother who's stronger is the one who does not drink alcohol. Maybe it's the opposite. Now, of course, getting drunk is a problem, right? But the one who has freedom is actually maybe enjoying the relationship more? Just thought I'd throw that out there. You see, freedom should be a part of this relationship and dynamic because responsibility is involved with that. Now I'm actually responsible for my relationship. I heard a pastor say, it drives me crazy. Anyway, I heard someone say, yeah, my worship team or I sent a worship team to this conference and they met with these other worship leaders and they went out and had, you know, something to drink. And then my whole worship team came back and they all have a drinking problem. I'm like, dude, they had a problem before they went to this worship conference. Okay, don't blame this on that. There is something missing already. See, we want to find something to blame and we miss the point responsibility in a relationship is the point. See, talking to another woman isn't a problem in my marriage. Flirting with another woman is. What's the difference? I know the difference. My wife knows the difference. If I don't, then there's something wrong with the relationship. Freedom comes with health. I have the freedom to talk, because I, again, I, I'm pulling a lot of things that have been a part of my life. I'm kind of confessing things to you guys. Okay, there, there was a time when it was like, okay, if you're a pastor, you should not talk with other women who are not your wife unless your wife is pregnant. It's like, what? What? <laughs> like, what about the lady at Starbucks? Sorry, ma'am, I can't order my coffee from you right now unless my wife comes. You know, I mean, that's kind of silly, but you guys know what I'm talking about. And the reason it's there is because there have been so many people in ministry who have not been healthy and have gone too far. It wasn't the freedom that went too far. It was the unhealthy relationship. Because there's... No amount of accountability that's going to keep me. If I can lie to my wife, I can lie to you. There is an accountability to God. And when I have that accountability to God, it gives me the freedom to live. When the fruit of the Spirit starts to show up in your life, love, patience, self-control, kindness, gentleness, these things are evidence that the relationship is taking place. Now, if those things aren't in your life right now, don't condemn yourself. Just understand that this is how you start knowing you're moving in that right direction. These are the things that grow. I'm not always under self-control. I lose it. I'm not always gentle. I'm not always patient. But these are things that I want to see more of in my life. It's evidence that the relationship is there. And when I grieve over the areas that need to grow and change, you know, it hurts me when I do something that hurts the people I love. When I lash out at my wife and say something insensitive, 
and I come back and I'm aware of it. It's like, I am so sorry. I was, I was foolish to say that. It was spiteful. It was angry. And I'm sorry. When I do things that affect my relationship with God and I grieve over those areas, it's showing that there's something in me that wants to change. You see, if if there's a conviction in your heart about the things you're doing wrong, that's a good thing. It's when I don't care and I don't listen, I'm just going to live my life apart from you as if you're not even there. That's when there's a problem. You see, this freedom goes both ways. I have the freedom to do whatever I want, but then I'm responsible for everything I do. And I live in this dynamic with God. You see, Jesus says, born of spirit, that's what it is. Like the wind, they're going to come in from every place and God is going to work in their lives in so many ways. We never leave our need for grace. That is so important. You never leave your need for grace. And if you ever do, you are on the wrong side of that conversation. You're back with Nicodemus and the Pharisees saying, I'm doing this myself. I'm doing it the right way. Look at all the things I'm doing. If you are never in need of God's grace, then something is wrong. That should shape our attitude about us, and it should shape our attitude about others, right? How can I judge others when I know I'm under this judgment? It welcomes us into this new family. This was Jesus' intention, was to bring a whole new family. I want to close with a passage in Matthew. Chapter 11, verse 28 and 30. I want to read it from the message translation. What Jesus is saying here to Nicodemus the Pharisee, he's saying, I'm asking you to leave this place where you are and come to the place where you need to be. And that was a difficult thing. That was putting him in the category of others. You will now be ousted because of what you're doing for my sake. But you will also be where you need to be. And Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, I love this translation. It says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That's what Jesus is calling us to. And let us learn from Nicodemus, where he had to move from a person who trusted in what he could do and what his traditions told him to a person who was willing to accept God's goodness for him and let God do a new work in him and through him. Let's pray. Lord, I have the tendency to read stories like this and look at Nicodemus and see him as being wrong and not see the wrong that I am doing like Nicodemus. Lord, we have a tendency to resist the things that challenge us, that confront us, because it makes us uneasy. And Lord, it's uncomfortable to see how expansive your goodness is and your grace, that before you we are all the same, that it doesn't matter what church we go to. It doesn't matter what political party we are on. It doesn't matter what religion we are on, that your grace is extended to every single person. 
It is a wind that rushes in and it changes the heart of people that it grabs hold of. So may we tear down the walls that we keep building up that starts limiting how you work based on our belief, based on our tradition, based on the things that we see and deem right. May you shake our systems up, our way of thinking up. God, it was unheard of for Nicodemus to imagine heathen Gentiles who were godless coming into the family of God. And yet that is what you did to us. And you are doing it still. You are opening the window and the wind is blowing everything changing everything that we had on our nice, neat desk. And your love is capturing the hearts of those who realize that I am condemned. I am like a person who has been bitten and has got this venom in me. And all I need to do is see that that's my condition and look to you trust that you will deal with that condition. God, may we embrace that truth. May we walk with you, God. And may we learn the unforced rhythms of grace and how you work in our lives and the lives of those around us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. May you who are rigid be broken and be set free from your tradition. May you who are burned out on religion and tired of trying to play the game, quit playing and understand God's love for you, fresh and free. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. See you next week. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.